along to Horror Court Trash Rubber, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And not only is today the uh, this month's Original Versus Remake episode, an Original Versus Remake threesome special, it's the final episode of Super Shitty Superheroes Month! Fucking... Oh my god, I'm so happy. Thank god. I am so sick of superhero films. Seriously, so sick of them. <laughs> I've had about enough. We love doing this podcast, but this is the one that's broke me. <laughs> I've had enough. We've had enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an endurance test for our relationship as much as it is for the podcast. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, there's been moments where I'm like, do I even enjoy films anymore? Like, do I? <laughs> Uh, I think with that being said, we can confirm this is the not just the last shitty superheroes episode for this month. Uh, it, it's the last shitty superheroes month episode ever. I if, think so. If we're going to, you know, that's not to say we're not going to discuss bad superhero films ever again. I feel like people would hunt us down if we didn't do Howl the Duck. You know, we've got caught and trash in our name. It's a must. Yeah. A must do. Um... But we're never dedicating a whole month to it ever again. No. It's fucking torture. Sorry, Far guys. Far too much. Far too we, much. We hope you enjoyed listening more than we enjoyed watching. <laughs> but. And we've actually probably ended on the worst yeah. three. Yeah. To, uh, to end shitty superheroes month for good, we have chosen three of the biggest misfires in cinematic history. Three of the worst superhero films ever made. We are, of course, discussing the infamous Fantastic Four. It blows my mind that the the same story can be fucked up three times in a row. Starting with our poll results, I you know what? There's no right or wrong with this shit. Yeah, there really isn't, actually. But I do appreciate that everyone tried to troll us. Um, the, the winner overall is 2005's Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time around, because we had to do uh, two lots of polls, the winner went on to face the 2015 one. The first lot of polls, there was two votes between 2005 and 1994. Yeah. <laughs> 49% of you voted for the Roger Corman... Fantastic Four from 1994. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to assume everyone was trolling, and, and I appreciate it. It was funny. It's the only thing amusing about Fantastic Four this past week. Um, <laughs> and, of course, our loser, our massive loser with 12% is 2015. <laughs> Why? Why would you fucking vote for that? Yeah. <laughs> it must be the only one you've seen. If you vote for it, it's really... No. We've got a, a socials catch-up. Uh, Rick on Facebook, Ooh. he is. Uh, he said super. Good. So this is our catch up. As if if you missed last month's original versus remake, this is a catch up for the whole month, uh, rather than doing it in individual episodes. Uh, Rick on Facebook said Supergirl is mega crap. It has a really unfunny performance by Peter Crook, famous for Derek and Clive act uh, with Dudley Moore. Uh, it's bloody awful. And he also suggested that we discuss Iron Hero. Iron Hero? Rick, I can probably guarantee Supergirl is better than Iron Hero. So, thanks for that. It's Peter Cook, Gary Crook. Is it really? Have I yeah. did a typo? You, I think you did. Yeah. Oh, I was Peter, a long Peter Cook. 
I can't even make a joke about him being a crook because Supergirl is the best film we watched all month. Um, <laughs> For the podcast. It's Gay Neil, everyone. Gay Neil, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Gay, Gay Neil. Neil. He played Gay Neil. Gay Nigel. Gay Nigel. Oh, Gay Nigel. My lord. These Fantastic Four films have really done you in, haven't they? Did we have a film with Neil? No, no one, Neil. Are you sure we didn't? Oh, was it Emil? Emil, and it sounded like Neil. Oh, this is a whole other episode. This is something we did a special guest for. Okay, we'll announce that later on. <laughs> I'm thinking of fucking Goosebumps. Oh. Oh my God, I'm a broken man. I'm a broken man. Uh, Alexandra on... Um, Ale- Alexandre, I really apologise if I've pronounced your name wrong. Um, I hope I haven't. Uh, on Facebook, suggested that we discuss Sinister Squad. What's that? Uh, it's a Suicide Squad ripoff. Looks like it's done by the Asylum. Oh my lord. Uh, Mabel's Chainsaw Repair on Instagram says Catwoman is the worst. Total waste of all talent involved. You know oh my wrong? god, Catwoman, feel, it feels like we did that episode... Years ago. Years ago. <laughs> July has been long for It really long. has. Phil Ellis, 736 on Instagram, uh, completely forgot Faye Dunaway was in Supergirl, and he thinks he should re-watch it soon. Yes, you should. We think you should as well, which is the best thing about should. it. Give us a running commentary, message us. Uh, Alm Street Walker on Instagram, and I quote, uh, said in regards to Supergirl, I love this fucking movie. I, <laughs> I mean, understandable. Bad Time Babble on Instagram said, Supergirl is so, so bad, hilariously camping places... And some wicked wire work, but terrible writing. It gets a little boring after an hour or so. Well, oh, God. How long was Super... Two hours? Yeah. Was the best scene ever made before an hour? The whole... The best scene what was the best scene ever made? In Natsuit Subtle. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sure that's before the hour. It was, work. yeah, I think so. And finally, Proper Robot on Instagram uh, says... He can sort of remember Supergirl, but still doesn't understand what Peter Cook is doing in it. Yeah, it is a weird one. <laughs> I mean, you explained that Dudley Moore suggested it for him. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's our socials for the month. And if you would like to discuss Fantastic Four with us, if you have to... Um, or any of the stuff we've covered this month or anything anything coming up uh, we are Horacle Trash over on Facebook and Instagram and Horacle Trash on Twitter for now The Fantastic Four 1994 directed by Ollie Sassone uh, director of uh, music videos for Mr. Mr. and Gloria Estefan nice he also directed Blood Fist Free, Forced to Fight. Ooh. No choice, gotta fight. Forced to Fight. Final Embrace, Future Shock, Fast Getaway 2, and episodes of Hercules and Xena. It's obsession with the letter F. I know, yeah. Forced to <laughs> Fight, Final Embrace, Future Shock, Fantastic Four, Fast Getaway. Fast two. Getaway 2. Yeah. Fast to get away too. Um, and, and fabulous episodes of Xena. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, you're not a Xena stan? Yeah. I'm going to say fabulous. Have you seen her in her outfit? <laughs> Budget, one million dollars. I wish I was, we were watching Xena instead of fucking Fantastic Four. That would have been so much better. Budget, one million dollars. Now, an interesting one. We can't tell you how much this made. Because it's never 
officially been released. <gasps> this has quite the backstory, so we're going to get into the trivia. In an interview with Kevin Smith, Stan Lee said that, unbeknownst to its cast and crew, the movie was never intended uh, to... Oh, I have lost my notes. Sorry, just falling apart here. <laughs> uh, it was never intended to be released. It was only made because the studio that owned the rights to Fantastic Four movie would have lost the rights if production didn't start by a certain date. The studio provided Roger Corman with a million dollars. Most of it was spent on the Thing's costume. The film had very few special effects. At first, Marvel denied that this film ever existed. When they were confronted with the footage in the film's trailer, they said it was a pilot for a TV show that was never commissioned. They reluctantly admitted its existence several years later after the film found its way onto the internet via a bootleg VHS copy. And for the full story, um, well, I'm about to tell you the full story, but if you want the full, full story in full detail, watch... Uh, Doomed, I think it's called. Doomed, uh, yes. The documentary about this film. Yes. That's better than the film itself. It's very interesting. It is, yeah. Really good. Yeah. So in the mid-1980s, German film producers Constantin Film brought a 10-year option um, for the rights from Marvel Comics for an initial $250,000. Just before the 10-year option ran out, uh, and in order to meet the terms of contract, so they would have first refusal to renew them, Constantine hurried, uh, hurriedly had put this film into production. Marvel were not impressed at the low budget results, and in order to avoid damaging the brand, they quietly brought the few film prints and negatives from Constantine film to avoid the possibility of it ever getting any sort of theatrical or video release. But not before somebody in the industry managed to make an illicit video copy. Both Roger Corman, who produced the film, uh, the director, Ollie... Sassone and the cast and crew of the film were not consulted or informed of this movie uh, as there were indeed plans in place for a small theatrical release and a trailer had been made with this in mind. It was rumoured that Marvel subsequently had all the film prints and negatives destroyed. The end result was that Constantine Film were able to keep another 10 year option on the Fantastic Four film series. After they secured funding for 20th Century Fox, the big budget version in 2005 was made. After the box office success of the 2005 version and several years before Marvel had formed their own studios, which would be the MCU now, Marvel then renewed Constantine Films' 10-year option and this resulted in Rise of the Silver Surfer, the sequel to 2005's film, and the reboot from 2015. Mm. However, the critical and financial failure of 2015 made Fox get cold feet in the Fantastic Four project and withdrew to concentrate on keeping hold of its more successful and profitable X-Men films. And several years later, the rights finally reverted back to Marvel uh, and there's a reboot in the works for them to be within the MCU. So, that backstory, what do you have to say? It's and it's an interesting one. It's way more interesting than the, the film itself. <laughs> uh, when you watch Doomed, uh, the documentary on the the making, I felt quite sorry for a lot of the cast because yeah. they were under the impression that this was going to like make their career. Like yeah. Fantastic Four was a big deal, and this was going to be the start of something for them. Yeah, and then it was like, nope. 
No, they're not even releasing it. Yeah. You know. And to not... not even be informed about it as well. Just like, that's it. You made this film. Yeah. It's disappeared. Also, surely they should have known that the film was bad. <laughs> oh, God. There's no avoid of it. They must have known that they were making the film. The film doesn't make any kind of sense no. at all. It's not coherent in the slightest. It's knowing the backstory, the film makes more sense. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's enjoyable to watch because it's not. Um, but it makes more sense why no one really bothers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an important part of court film history. Uh, and, and absolutely an important part of trash film history. So I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we're discussing it today. But fucking hell, it's rough. And the fact that it's a bootleg version that's oh, on YouTube in four, by the way, if anyone yeah. wants to watch it. Um, the fact that it's a bootleg copy, it it's very obvious. It looks like it's been run over by a fucking truck. It, it, it looks fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's also, it's an interesting story in terms of how the movie business works. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Marvel, in 1995, maybe was struggling a bit. The films before that weren't exactly setting the world on fire. No, I mean, really, really? the only mainstream one before that would have been Howard the Duck. Yeah, we'll yeah. The so... They probably did just give the rights to anyone yeah. who wanted them. Um, and then what I found was probably during that period, it was the cartoons that were doing yeah. much better. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Spider-Man came along. And I'm not sure how much anyone was expecting that to be the breakaway hit that it was. And I think... Well, X-Men. X-Men. Was yeah. that before That was before, yeah. And then Blade before that as well. Yeah, Blade's different. I, I see Blade different to the household name comic book. Yeah, heroes. still a film that did well, though. So, I mean, it, it, could, have, well, it could have took Marvel in a different direction. But it, for me, that's a different audience. You're looking at a different audience yeah. for Blade. Yeah, but You're then... not looking at, you know, if I said to my mum, if I showed him, her, her if I showed my mum a picture of Blade, she wouldn't know who yeah. he was. If I showed him... Uh, her. Oh my a god, pic- you stop misgendering your mum, please. <laughs> if I showed her a picture of Spider-Man, she would know Spider-Man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. X-Men was before, though, so that was the big hit. Yeah. Um, You know, nothing had been done like that previously. No. Within Marvel. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, Spider-Man came along and that was an even bigger hit. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. In 1995, this... I mean, if it was released... It probably would have just been forgotten about anyway. Um, if it had been released, it probably it would, would have, been, have been laughed out. It it would have been known as a huge box office bomb yeah. disaster. It would have been Howard the Duck. Which, and probably would have ruined Marvel's stock. Yeah, which brings me to something... Jumping ahead a little. Obviously, 2015... The, the well-known story behind the 2015 version is that there was studio interference, uh, supposedly, right? That, you know, that's why it was so shit. Marvel pulled this film from the existence. Like, they, they destroyed every copy they had because of how bad it was. Why would they interfere, or 20th Century Fox, interfere with, a, with another film... 
make it worse, make it borderline unwatchable, it's so boring, and then release it. That just proves how it's bullshit, the studio interference storyline. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the studio does have the last um, cut of the film. Essentially, apparently they butchered his film. I mean, we'll get into that more in detail, but apparently they butchered his film and made it a completely different film. I'm calling bullshit. But we'll explain more about that as we get on. Um, Last bits of trivia for 1994. Mark Ruffalo auditioned for the role of Doctor Doom. Uh, He eventually ended up, of course, playing Bruce Banner in the MCU. The music in the trailer advert is actually the theme from another Roger Corman film, Battle Beyond the Stars. The music soundtrack uh, to the final cut of the film is an original specifically commissioned piece through. The, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the soundtrack as well later on. It's, it's something. Um, 2005, Fantastic Four reboot, directed by Tim Story, uh, who also did the sequel, uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Still working to this day. Director of Tom and Jerry, the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. That well, Did Tom and Jerry make money? No. No? No, and it's critically panned. Okay. Shaft, 2019. Okay. A film supposedly homophobic and uh, basically, if you're not a manly man, you're a joke. Which makes sense of a lot of jokes in Fantastic Four. Is it yeah. the same person? Ride Along, 1 and 2, Think Like a Man, 1 and 2, Taxi, Barbershop, okay. and many more. Budget, $100 million. Worldwide gross was $333.5 million. Okay. Do you remember this being released? No. Um, no? Um, all I remember, and as I describe it in my notes, it's the Jessica Alba fi- uh, Final Fantasy. What the fuck? Fantasy. Uh, Fantastic Four. That's all I really knew as. I'm not... I wasn't really interested yeah. in, in it. But, uh, I mean, the marketing was everywhere. Like, I remember I had a poster of this on my wall and everything. I I actually enjoyed this shit back in 2005. And I say that more reluctantly than when I said it about Daredevil. Because whereas Daredevil is some fun to be found with it, this was fucking dire. Yeah... Yeah, it's not it's not good. It's not aged well at all. And yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm my favorite of the threes. Well, I mean it's not <laughs> difficult, is it? For most of the shoot, Michael um Cheeklis was terribly uncomfortable in the hot thing suit. Um and that's not me saying the thing suit's hot, it, it was warm inside. Uh, the final street battle, however, was filmed in Vancouver in uh, December, uh, leaving the actor as the only comfortable one of the four. The rest are in skin-type blue uniforms. Yes. Stan Lee has said that uh, the same actor's performance as The Thing is his favourite performance in any Marvel film ever. I assume he said this before the MCU uh, came along. Oh, okay. Desperate times, you know, desperate rushes. <laughs> Jessica Alba... Had a kidney infection during the filming and nearly fainted when she was with Julian McMahon in the uh, space station scene. Okay. Poor Jessica Alba. Now, how do we say the guy who plays Reed Richards' 
actor's name? I'm going to say Ewan Griffith. Ewan Griffith, there we go. Ewan Griffith. Uh, his efforts to keep an American accent continually were hampered by the fact that he would receive new script pages on a regular basis, forcing him to learn new lines at short notice. Yes. Uh, Welsh, I believe he is. Yes. Paul Walker was considered for the role of uh, Johnny Storm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Jennifer Garner, star of Daredevil and Electra, suggested Michael uh, Chiklis for the role of the thing. Okay. A friend of hers. Yeah. During development, Chris Columbus pushed for the film to have a heavily comedic tone along the lines of the Batman 966 TV series. Oh. Despite being hired uh, because of his comedy background, Tim Story was able to persuade Columbus that going for an outright comedic tone would end in disaster and pointed to the success of Spider-Man as proof that the film could still contain plenty of humour whilst having a generally serious overall storyline. You're full of shit, Tim Story, because this film is a comedy. It is. There is no way this wasn't intended to be a comedy. comedy. And Tim Story is also a piece of shit because... He, uh, on, he's the reason we don't see Jessica Alba in anything anymore. Because on the set of uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer, apparently Jessica Alba wasn't crying pretty enough. Mm. Apparently she looked genuinely upset when she was crying during a scene. So he started shouting at her, telling her to cry pretty. Yes. And that put her off from being in yeah. any other film ever again. for you. I'm pretty sure it sounded like you said Tim Curry then. Uh, Tim, <laughs> Tim Story. Story. Tim Story. Not Tim Curry. Um, I mean, she's doing well for herself. She's a successful business now, isn't she? She has. She's been in a few things recently. Not Her profile's not as big. Um, but she, I believe, sells... Um, I believe they're cosmetics that she sells. Very environmentally friendly uh, cosmetics and uh, baby... Um, Products. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, fair play to her. Uh, sadly, this is the first of two films where we have to talk about women being treated like shit on the film set. Mm. Hugh Jackman... This isn't leading on from that. Mm. Hugh Jackman uh, was offered the role of Reed Richards. Uh, in a deleted scene, Reed turned into Jackman as Wolverine. Lovely. Great. Jessica Alba's underwear scene was added after the actress had agreed to be in the film. Of course. Oh my God, I hate this fucking director so much. So they literally only did it because he wanted to see Jessica Alba in her underwear. Essentially. That is fucking awful. I, I've not the state seen of Hollywood. the trailer. I'd assume that scene is in the trailer. I have no idea, but the state of Hollywood in 2005 is fucking scary, scary song. Oh God. Just 2005. Oh, wow. I mean... Try the history of Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, this was particularly bad. Around that time and onwards, you know. It's it's disgusting. It, it really... And now, this, now, there is a lot of shirtless men in this film. There, there is. But, literally, the only purpose of women in this film... Even someone who is a fucking superhero within this team... Their only purpose is to either be sexualized or be a romantic love interest or both. Yeah, essentially. So what we get in the film um, is a lot of Chris Evans undressed, um, but it's it's usually quite comedic. Yeah. Whereas when Jessica Alba gets undressed, 
it's it's comedic, but if it's a bit more seedy. Yeah. She's not laughing it off, whereas Chris Evans is. Yes. But I'll get on to yeah. women in the in the film. The screenplay had to be extensively retooled after The Incredibles came out, uh, as many of the latter's jokes were making fun of things that already existed within this Fantastic Four script. Of course, The Incredibles was released a year before yes. um, Fantastic Four. The Incredibles is genuinely, and The Incredibles 2, are the only good versions of Fantastic Four on screen, which is troublesome because they're only poking fun of Fantastic Four. Yes, but The Incredibles is a different entity in itself. It's not... But that's what it's based on. I mean, even Invisible Woman, Invisible Girl, it's very... Yeah, it is based on the Fantastic Four, but they come at it from a completely different angle. Yeah. And it's a parody of Fantastic Four, whereas these three films are trying to make... They're not making fun of themselves no. necessarily, no. Um, and they, there's a different dynamic between the characters. Whereas the Incredibles is a family dynamic, yeah. So you can do a lot more with that. George Clooney and Brendan Fraser were considered for the part of Mister Fantastic. Oh lord, I could see that. No, they're too. They're too handsome. They're too. They're not, like. Scienty enough, and Hugh Jackman's too big. Hugh Jackman? Did you say Hugh Jackman? Brendan oh, Fraser. That was earlier on it. Brendan he Fraser. Was excuse also. me, I get them mixed up. Yeah. Brendan Fraser. He's too big. He's too muscly. You need mm. a like skinny guy who can. Yeah, that's true. You know, do the Mister Fantastic stretch. Ali Lata, Julia Stiles, Kate Bosworth, Rachel McAdams, Scarlett Johansson, Elizabeth Banks, Katie Strickland. And Trish Stratus yes. were considered for the role of Susan Storm. Oh my god, I want to see Trish Stratus in that role. Yeah, that would have been a different film, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> that would have been great. Do you think if Trish Stratus got the role... She would have been in her underwear a lot. And Yeah, but do you think she also wouldn't get the most boring things to do out of the four? Like Jessica Alba does. Um, no, but Jessica Alba was a big name at the time, wasn't she? Yeah, but I mean, with Trish Stratus being a wrestler. Uh, yeah, I think Trish, uh, yeah, I think her wrestling slash stunt work would have played into the role, maybe. They probably would have made her more physical. Yeah. Um, but, again, you know, she's um, good old Trish. She's just been in enough bra and panties matches that she... I don't think she'd have an issue to get... <laughs> In a bra and knickers for the film. Michael Chiklis, uh, his wife, called into the set one time. <laughs> in a bizarre series of events. Uh, she called into the set one time without announcing she was coming. She saw her husband in full makeup as the thing and was so distressed by what she saw that she had to be physically escorted from the set in order to compose herself. <laughs> That's life imitating art, there, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Actually happens in the film with his fiance. <laughs> Jesus, come on! Is it so distressed? <laughs> you know it's going to film. It's not like it was a surprise to yeah, her. She knew what was happening. <laughs> Did you watch the show? Did you read the comics? When Sean Astin wanted to do a film version of Fantastic Four, he wanted either Cameron Diaz or Christina Aguilera in the role of Susan Storm. 
Fantastic Four, directed by Sean Astin, starring Christina Aguilera. Sign me up. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Uh, Cameron Diaz <laughs> would have been a, a, a nice choice. Imagine Christine Aguilera. 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 Christine Aguilera in that role. Aguilera. Not for that. Uh, Chris Columbus, Raja Gosnell and Peyton Reed were each attached as director at some point. I believe Chris Columbus went on to produce. Uh, Yes. In the first of two trivia facts from two separate films about Mads Mikkelsen. Okay. He auditioned for Mr. Fantastic... And recalled that it was a humiliating experience in an interview with Vulture. Okay. Remember Mads Mikkelsen? He's going to come back shortly. Well, Mads Mikkelsen would have done a fantastic job. He would have. Of um, Doctor Doom. The second fact is relating to Doctor Doom. Let's just say that. Okay. Sadly. Why? Who did he audition for in this one? Reed Richards. Oh, no, he wouldn't have made I did a good say, Reed Richards. I did say Reed Richards, didn't he? He probably did. I'm sorry. I've had yeah, enough Mr. of these Fantastic. fucking films. Um, no, he would have made a shit uh, Reed Richards, but he would have made a great um, Doctor Doom. I'm hoping it's third time lucky. I hope he gets cast in the MCU. Okay. He, he would be really yeah. good. He would... Uh, if any actor is perfect for a villain, and I know it's the European thing, he's got an accent. I do understand that. Um, but his work in Hannibal was fantastic. Um, and then obviously, actually all of his, everything I've seen. Yeah, he's, he's, he's always been great. been great in everything. Um, but he would make a really, really good villain. Yeah. In a, in a superhero film. Brings us to Fantastic Four from 2015. Pronounced fant stick No, it should up. That's not true. I promise you. Look at the poster. That's bullshit. Look at the poster. Yeah, I understand that. fant so fantastic. No, no one has said it like that. If they have, they everyone that I've read on Letterbox that have said that they've enjoyed this piece of shit film, I've referred to it as fantastic. Fantastic. Non ironically. Fantastic. Shit name for a shit film. Directed by Josh Trank, uh, director of Chronicle. Uh, I love Chronicle. It's a really good film. Uh, I'm surprised that it's from the same person. He also made Capone. Um, and there's another director involved, uncredited, Stephen E. Rifkin, who was an editor on Avatar, Pirates of the Caribbean, and he only directed music videos for the Jets. Well, are you going to be my girl band? No, that's Jet. Oh, who are the Jets? I have no idea. But oh. Seems only, yeah, but the editor on one of the highest grossing films of all time, uh, second, was a secondary director, uncredited. I, I yeah, budget hundred and twenty million dollars, and it only made a hundred and sixty-seven point eight million dollars. Mm. Stan Lee declined to make a cameo. Understandable. Good choice. In a, now, yeah, most of this trivia, uh, we'll get the Mads Mikkelsen out of the way is, first. Does the film takes itself far too seriously? Where would you even have a Stan Lee cameo? I have no idea. There's no, there's no way. Yes. You couldn't have a Stan Lee cameo because it wouldn't fit? No. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen <laughs> auditioned for the role of Doctor Doom. Hey. But he walked out from his audition. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Why did Mads Mikkelsen keep auditioning for Fantastic Four and having bad experiences? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, MCU, get him. Get him. He, he, he clearly wants to be in one of these films. <laughs> Are you thinking Doctor Doom? Fuck yeah. Um... It would be the first time 
Doctor Doom had a uh, European accent. I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> considering he's from what? Where? Some made up. A, some variant of Latvia. Yeah. Latver or Latver- something. Something like Latveria, like like that. that's it. Yeah. Um, I think Mads Mikkelsen would have made a great vulture, actually. No, it's not Latveria. Latveria is a real place. No, it's... What is it? Vulture's the Michael Keaton one in Spider-Man, isn't it? Yeah, I'm still going about Latveria. Mads Mikkelsen would have made a good... Yeah, yeah, he would have. Probably because he kind of looks like how he looked in the um, Spider-Man Monopoly board game he used to have. (laughs) Maybe they modelled it after Mads Mikkelsen. Maybe. Um, But yeah, he he would be great in in the role of Doctor Doom. Uh, So, getting into this disaster... Um, I mean, you think the 1994 one had a good backstory. Well, this, this isn't a good backstory, but it's fucking... We've got a lot to discuss. In a quickly deleted tweet from the 6th of August 2015, Josh Trank said, A year ago, I had a fantastic <laughs> version of this, and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's reality, though. After seeing this version, the studio mandated heavy reshoots. Uh, the newer scenes are easy to spot because Kate Mara had cut her hair, so wore a blonde wig. Miles Teller also had facial hair that would appear and disappear between shots. Box office analysts have said that Trank's uh, errant tweet may have cost 20th Century Fox $10 million in opening weekend sales. So, he's to blame for his own fucking downfall. Because I remember when this was released, and I remember it being slagged off before it was even released. Yeah. By its own director. Yeah. What yeah, a stupid it's the move to make. slagging it off. You're not going to see it, are you? He's the one going to be making fucking money. Take your paycheck. Yeah. Bitch about it after. But doing that, you're, you're cutting ties with uh, the studio. But yeah. You're doing it in a public forum where it's going to look bad to other studios. Yeah. Uh, after the disappointing reviews, Josh Trank went on to tweet that he'll never work on another superhero film ever again. Thank fuck. Oh, very pleased. Josh Trank envisioned his film as being two hours and 20 minutes long. The studio cut it down to an hour and 40 minutes. So did he film two hours and 20 minutes worth? Because it does feel very rushed. It's rumoured. At certain points. It's rumoured. Apparently... It was too violent, his version. Um, and, yeah. Which, I mean, you're making... This is 2015. Well, this would have been... Yeah. So, I think this would have been before... Daredevil. Not Daredevil. Um, Deadpool. So, comic book movies at this time were very much all 12A. They, they were all 12A. There was no way around it. It was always the case that they were, you know... Some of them pushed the rating, but it was never going beyond it. So, why would he make something like that if he just knew it was going to be cut anyway? But what rating was the Christopher Nolan trilogy? All 12 A's. They were all 12 A's. It is surprising, but they are all 12 A's. Um, Because, if anything, and and again, like I said earlier, the film takes itself far too seriously. It's far too dark. Um, and I think what he was going for was the Christopher Nolan style yeah. superhero film, um, which lends itself to a longer running time, to be fair. Um, so if they did cut it down, then 
you know, some of the blame has to be put on the studio yeah. if they did cut it down. Um, because that's a big problem with the film. Um, but I just don't know if that works for the Fantastic Four. No, it's a stupid idea. Fan, you know, why are you trying to make it so serious? It's such a terrible idea. And I genuinely think most of this shit about the studio interference is bullshit. I reckon he watched it, he watched it back before he posted that tweet, before it was released, realised he had made absolute dog shit. Probably got some early critics reviews, um, those screenings they do for, uh, you know, when people do the feedback forms and whatever. Um, and realised it was dog shit. So he was like, shit, I've got to put the blame on someone. Yeah, I... I Because this is so pretentious, this uh, film. Yeah, I mostly agree with you there. If he had made a film that he envisioned to be two hours and 20 minutes long... Yeah. And 40 minutes of that was cut... Yeah. ...without his say-so... Mm-hmm. ...then you would be pissed. And you, yeah. you would be pissed. And you would be like... You know, you'd watch the film and, like I said, the... the the rushing of certain parts um, makes no sense to the narrative and that's an issue with the film. So if that's a result of those cuts, then that makes sense. But that doesn't excuse the fact that the hour and 40 minutes that we do get still has major issues. Yeah. And also, people have done petitions and they've, they've said to him, okay, yeah, right, so you made a better film. Let's see it. Yeah. They've said, you know, you've got this footage, you made this film, release your cut, release your version of it, like the Snyder cut. Conveniently, he's promised that'll never happen, he'll never release it. A little strange if you ask me. Mm, that is a bit weird. If you genuinely believe, if you've got all that footage there and you've got the power to release it, you know, you've got all these petitions and everything, it's happened, we've seen now, it's happened with the Snyder cut. He could easily do it. Yeah. Get but, back some of that ten yeah. million. That he prove his point. Out. Prove that he made this amazing film that he said, but he's refusing to. Yeah, because he's bullshit. Clearly, Kate Mara had initially wanted to read Fantastic Four comic books to prepare her for the role of Susan Storm, but the filmmakers explained to the cast that it's unnecessary because the film was an original story and not based on the comic books. Why? Why? What a stupid idea! That is where Mortal Kombat went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It loses the heart. Yeah. It's one thing that I would give the Jessica Alba Fantastic Four is that they do try and stay true to the comic book yeah. and the comic book style. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very, it is very sort of um, glossy. Yeah. It's, it's a bright film. Whereas this is going for some fucking morbid, dark... Um, fucking graphic novel shit. Yeah. Just... It never existed. So what's, what was yeah. the point? Trank for, for Miles Teller to get the role of Reed Richards. Why? I have no fucking idea. I think Miles Teller's a fantastic actor. He's in one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, Whiplash. This is... Do you think anyone else would think it's a different film as one of your films? He's been in what? some good films. What has he been in? Miles Teller's been in... He was in... Uh... Whiplash. But, either way, I've seen him, I know I've seen him in other stuff and he was good in other stuff. He, he was in Chronicle, the, the directors of a film. Do you think people are going to s- 
listen to us and think, oh yeah, Insurgent, one of Gary's favourite films. I've never seen Insurgent. Thank no? You Anyway, and they're gonna think, oh, that awkward moment. Definitely one of Gary's. I've not seen films. that either. Anyway, oh, twenty one and over. Definitely one of Gary's favorite films. Sadly, have seen that. Anyway, the, moving the on. Loose remake. Definitely moving one of Gary's favorite on, films. It was whiplash, <laughs> but either way, he shouldn't have been in this film. Um, Trank fought for him to get the role of Reed Richards against the wishes of the studios, only for the two men to end up nearly in a fist fight on set. I'm not shitting you. So you fought for him to be in the film and then... Then had a fight on set. The studios pushed for Kate Mara in the role of Sue Storm, even though Trank didn't want her for the role, and as a result, he was difficult to Mara and bullied her throughout filming. Yeah. It's incredible. Even in 2015... Yeah. You still six get years shit ago. like this. This was six years ago. That didn't like barely broke the news when it you know I'm assuming Kate Mara discussed it herself yeah. in interviews and yeah. such uh, afterwards, but the first I'd heard of it. Well, I have that here actually. During okay. a conversation with Emmy Magazine in 2020, uh, Kate Mara admitted that she had a horrible experience on Fantastic Four. She pointed out that she had two horrendous experiences working with male directors. And added, have I not gotten along with female director? Absolutely. Um, was it not the greatest work experience? Sure. But there is never a time that I felt this is happening because I'm a woman. Whereas with male directors, it 100% was only happening with me because I'm a woman. It was a power dynamic thing. I honestly completely agree with her. Especially with the stories from this set. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't... It sounds like a toxic environment all round. Yeah. Um, I just... You know, we sit there and we, we watch films and we, we hope that we enjoy them and, you know, we enjoy we enjoy films. Yeah. You know, I've never made one. I've never wanted to make one. Um, but surely, shouldn't it be a fun experience? You'd think some of a film like this, films, wouldn't you? Films, entertainment, that, that is bringing, you know, entertainment and joy to people's lives... Shouldn't that be enjoyable? Shouldn't it be yeah. an enjoyable process? Yes, yeah, definitely. Because shit like that, you you see in... in what's it? Kate Mara, excuse mm. me. So, in her performance, you know, she, she ain't got much to do, let's be fair. But she, she ain't good in no. the role. She isn't good. How much of that is the toxic environment that she was yeah. forced to be in? Absolutely. You know? You're not going to give your best performance when you're being bullied on set. Yeah. By a misogynistic director. It's it's not going to happen. But yes. It, it, it is... It, it's shit. It, it's so shit. And it's, it's even worse that... It's just a whole... Ugly, this film is just ugly. That's the only way I could describe it. Because not only did these actors have to go through all the shit on set. You know, fist fights with Miles Teller... Bully and Kate Mara, the fucking director had the audacity to release a shit film from it as well. It's not like, you know, a lot of the problems you're in the fast, and there's no excuse for it whatsoever. It's normally directors that think they're making a masterpiece or whatever. Stanley Kubrick on The Shining, look at the way you treat Shelley Duvall. Exactly. Um, you're making a fucking Fantastic Four film? What the fuck is wrong with you? But it's, it's people get lost up their own asses. And, and and this film is a big example of that. Yeah, and it, it's, 
it's never right. No. And I can sit here and 100% tell you that Stanley Kubrick did not need to treat Shelley Duvall no. the way he treated no. her to get that performance. Absolutely, completely unnecessary. No. She was a fantastic actress, you know, and I'm sure, you know, all these method directors or, or whatever you would call it, um, I'm pretty sure nine times out of ten, it's completely pointless. Yeah. Because you could get a fantastic performance no matter what. Yeah. And it's not even if you're that one in ten where the actor or actress isn't doing as well. There's no need to be a dick about no, it. No, no. Uh, well, the bad performances of this film is reportedly what got Miles Teller dropped from La La Land. Really? Yeah. And Josh Trank... Who was he meant to be in La La Land? I don't I'm know. I'm assuming not Ryan Gosling. Maybe. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know if I had one. From the same director. I say it's the same it's, director uh, Whiplash. Whiplash, yeah. Um, and Josh Trank was dropped from directing a Star Wars project about Boba Fett. So I assume that would have been The Mandalorian with its connections now, where it was leading to. Yeah, okay. Good. He didn't fucking deserve it. Um, so, how do we say a name? It's not Saucy Ronan, is it? No, it's Saucy Saucy Ronan, Alison Williams, Emmy Rossum and Margot Robbie auditioned for the role of Sue Storm before Kate Mara was cast. Uh, Toby Cabell was unavailable for the reshoots. Uh, he plays Doctor Doom, so during the film's climax, the only action scene in the film, that's not actually the actor. He's barely in the film. I know, yeah. So do you think that 40 minutes would have a lot... So if he wasn't available for the reshoots, Mm. then surely that 40 minutes that was cut, a lot of that would have involved Doctor Doom. Maybe. Um... Oh, I don't know. Who the fuck cares? Who cares? I really don't give a shit. OTOY, the visual effects company that was hired to do work on the film, was reportedly way over their heads with the project and had to deal with a generally unresponsive and erratic Trank who requested that the thing's appearance and size shift between certain shots. Why? Why? Why are you being a dick about that? There is no need for that to happen. No. Tommy Wiseau wanted to direct the sequel. <laughs> ah. Tell me why so would have been great is the thing. <laughs> One of only two films based on a Marvel comic to win the Razzie Awards for Worst Picture. Ah. The other being Howard the Duck in 1986. Oddly, in both cases, it tied with another film for the award. This tied with Fifty Shades of Grey. And Howard the Duck tied with Under the Cherry Moon. Okay. I'd rather watch Howard the Duck and Under the Cherry Moon... <laughs> Then I would any day compared to Fantastic Four and <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Josh Trank was reportedly so determined to have his friend Michael B. Jordan play Johnny Storm that he would not even allow other actors to audition for the role. When Jordan was asked in an interview how he felt about fans being upset over Johnny being changed from Caucasian to African American, he scoffed and boasted that the very same fans were going to go see the film regardless. Until the director posted a shitty tweet and then no one went to watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Michael B. Jordan is possibly the best actor in this film. And I think he yes. works in that role. Yeah. 
I think with better material, Michael B. Jordan would have done a fantastic job as what's the name? Johnny Storm. Uh, Johnny Storm, yeah. I think he would have been perfect, spot on for it. Yeah, because unlike... It was better written. Yeah, because unlike Chris Evans, who was too much, and unlike the other one that was also too much in 1994, Michael B. Jordan seemed to get that level right between yeah. not being too annoying. I, 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 there was a, a cheekiness to him yeah. that wasn't annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think he's not really in the film that much. It's uh, really to get a real sense of character. Um, but I think in a better film, he would have, you know, done better. He would have been yeah. a really good fit. The whole African American thing, you that know, is fucking massive. There's Jesus fucking Christ. stupid pricks. Fucking... Like, people, st- it, you know, that hasn't changed. Six years later, that hasn't changed. As soon as anyone, and I think I mentioned this on the last episode or the episode before, but as soon as someone is, you know, cast as uh, someone who is originally meant to be white, there is uproar on the internet with fucking keyboard warriors crying because it's not the way they liked it, not the way they originally saw their character, not their character, fuck off, it's not fucking real. But then, if someone's whitewashed, they don't have a fucking problem with that, do they? No, no. It's, it's bullshit. Absolute bullshit. It's bullshit. And he, you know, if he could play this role better than two white men have previously tried to do, then what is the fucking problem? Exactly. So getting into the films, please read us the summary of 1994's Fantastic Four. Okay, don't think it will take me long. <laughs> Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom are college friends who use the opportunity of a passing comet to try an experiment. However, the experiment goes wrong, leaving Victor believed dead. Susan and Johnny Storm are two children living with their mother, who has a boarding house where Reed lives. Uh, How is uh, Storm introduced? Sue Storm is introduced when Reed Richards opens the front door and smacks her in the air. She falls flat on her arse. But no one seems to care. <laughs> no one seems to react to the fact that she's just got knocked on her ass. <laughs> ben Grimm is a family friend and college buddy of Reed's. Yep. Yeah. Ten years later, Reed, Sue, Johnny and Ben go up into an experimental spacecraft of Reed's as the same comet passes by Earth. They are hit by cosmic rays from it due to a necessary diamond being exchanged for an imitation by the jeweller. Uh, before this, uh, when we're introduced to uh, Sue's mum again, Sue and Johnny's mum, um, Ben says to her in a very condescending voice, Hi, Mrs. Storm. Can Sue and Johnny come to space with us? Yeah. She's like, Hi, Ben. Yeah. And I thought, oh, they're, they're messing around. No, they're being entirely fucking serious. What I didn't get <laughs> is that Johnny and Susan were asked to go into space, but by all accounts, they had no scientific credentials <laughs> to go up into space. It wasn't explained why they would be a good fit for the mission. <laughs> and Sue and Johnny's mother says, Look at you, the Fantastic Four. Upon crash, la- upon crash landing on Earth, the four discovered that the cosmic rays gave them special powers. Reed's bodily structure has become elastic. Sue can become invisible. 
Johnny can generate fire on demand, and Ben is transformed into a creature with stone-like skin, the thing. <laughs> and uh, they are later captured by Victor's men, who pose as marines, and meet villainous monarch Doctor Doom. After escaping from Doom's men, the four regroup at the Baxter building, trying to decide what to do now that they have gained superpowers. And angry Ben leaves the group to go out on his own, feeling he has become a freak of nature. He is found by homeless men and joins them in the lair of the jeweller. The jeweller who looks like Funny Man, by the way. Yeah, the jeweller that looks like um, a wish version of the penguin in Batman <laughs> Returns. Uh, the, the problem was we watched a YouTube um, video... The only the version available of the film. But it's obviously taken from a very old VHS. So I don't really understand what the jeweller looked like. <laughs> Apparently he had some sort of thing on his face, but I'm not sure what it was or why it was there. Um, the jeweller has his henchmen kidnap a blind artist, Alicia Masters, whom he plans to force into being his bride and intends to use the stolen diamond as his wedding gift to her. Alicia, who plans to make statues of the Fantastic Four, despite only feeling one of their faces after he knocks her over, and not... I mean, she's blind! She's blind. This is giving Lionel Richie hello <laughs> music video vibes. Absolutely. She's, make, she's making fucking ceramic statues out of people that she's <laughs> not only never seen, but she's never, like, felt their face no. or anything. What is she going on? <laughs> like, who... I don't get it. So, obviously, the whole idea in it, it, it only occurs in uh, this film and the Jessica Alba film. I will keep referring to it as the Jessica Alba film, the Fantastic Four. <laughs> is the idea that obviously Ben is having a tough time dealing with his new look. And it's a blind woman that falls in love with him and, you know, teaches him that uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Which is great. But... <laughs> why would you have her as a, like... Making statues. I just don't get it. <laughs> I'm assuming it's from the comic books. So the, the character was established in the comic books. But I'm assuming she wasn't a sculptress in the comic no. books. Anyway, Doom has his own plans for the diamond and sends his henchmen to the jeweler's lair to make a deal with him to no avail. Doom, displeased, seizes the diamond himself as a gun battle breaks out between the jewellers and Doom's men. Ben enters the fray, only for Doom to take Alicia as his hostage. Ben threatens to clobber Doom, <laughs> only for Alicia to beg him not to risk it, and confesses her love for him. They only met once, <laughs> really. So she did say I love you. She did say I love you. Yeah, the The other problem with watching the YouTube video is there was no, like, subtitles. <laughs> So, some of it we were like, what did she say? What did he say? Um, we weren't sure, but apparently she does confess her love for a person <laughs> she's only met once, really, properly. Yeah, and he knocked her over and destroyed her, her statue. Her yeah, she was fuming at the start, weren't she? Yeah. Her confession reverts Ben to human form. Causing... <laughs> I know, right? That 
was what was going on. That's I had no idea. On. That's what was going on. <laughs> Causing him to flee out onto the city streets. Frustrated at his helplessness, he reverts back to the thing. <laughs> That's not how this shit works. Apparently. Ben returns to his friends. By now, Reed has learned that Doom is actually Victor. No Doom shit. contacts them and threatens to use the diamond to power a laser cannon that will destroy New York City. After introducing himself like uh, RuPaul. He does, yeah. Puts his hand up in the air. I am Von Doom. <laughs> Doctor Doom. <laughs> Realising they're the only ones who can stop Doom, they don costumes and travel to Doom's castle. There, the Fantastic Four battle a series of Doom's military. Doom fires his laser as Reed as a final battle with him, which ends with Doom being knocked off a balcony wall. He manages to grab hold of the wall and Reed attempts to rescue him, only for Doom's gauntlet to come loose and him falling into the fog below. His gauntlet, still on the balcony, starts to move on its own. Johnny becomes the human torch and flies off to stand between the laser shot and the city, pushing the beam into outer space. Ben frees Alicia and finally introduces himself to her. She feels the rocky surface of his face, but is not phased by his altered appearance. Thereafter, the four dedicate themselves to fighting evil and Reed and Sue marry. Um, Reed and Sue marry. She's in a white wedding dress. Everyone else is still in their Fantastic Four uniforms. <laughs> yeah, two things. I mean, it says that she feels the rocky surface of his face, but realistically, Alicia starts feeling up his chest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and second, when they're driving away, the fucking fake hand that they wave out of the limo is... Just fucking... It's, it's just a nightmare. It's a meme. It's been memed. It is ridiculous. It's really the... Um, yeah, it's not a good look. Yeah, we made that sound more fun than it actually is. It is an incoherent mess. It's, but it was really boring as well. It didn't even have... Because, like Gary said, the majority of the money went on the costume for the thing. Mm. And in fairness, it's not a terrible costume. But... It, it said there was no other special effects. Well, there was no other special effects because nothing else fucking happened. <laughs> like, it was really... And really, if it, I, Out of the three, this one really felt like an episode of Batman. Yeah. Didn't it? So, moving on to 2005. Dr. Reed Richards, a genius but timid and bankrupt physicist is convinced evolution was triggered millions of years ago on Earth by clouds of cosmic energy in space and has calculated that one of these clouds is soon going to pass near Earth. I never want to hear about science or space ever again after these <laughs> fucking films. Together with his friend, the gruff yet gentle astronaut Ben Grimm, the king of banter, who will try bickering with absolutely everybody in this film for comedic purposes... Reed convinces his equally brilliant but conceited MIT classmate, Dr. Victor Von Doom, sitting in the shadows during the pitch because he's the bad guy, now CEO of Von Doom Industries, to allow him to access a space station to test the effects of exposure to the cloud on biological samples. Von Doom agrees in exchange for control over the experiment and a majority of the profits from whatever benefits it brings. He brings aboard his chief genetics researcher and Reed's ex-girlfriend from MIT, Susan Storm, and her reckless brother, Johnny Storm. How do we know he's a bad boy? 
because he rides a motorbike. And kisses a girl in a car. Ooh. And whilst he's doing all of this, Come On, Come In by Velvet Revolver plays. Oh, yeah. This film doesn't quite have a Daredevil soundtrack. No. But it's not it's close. too far it's not away. Too far There's two songs not in the film by Anastasia and Joss Stone. Yeah. <laughs> a young astronaut who was... Um, yeah, Johnny Storm's a young astronaut who was Ben's subordinate uh, at NASA, but it's his superior on this mission to create hilarity because they hate each other. The Quintet uh, travels to space to observe the cosmic energy clouds, but Reed has miscalculated and the clouds materialise while ahead of schedule. Reed, Susan and Johnny leave the shielded station to rescue Ben, who has gone on a spacewalk to place the samples, and Victor closes the shield behind them. Ben receives full exposure out in space, whilst the others receive a more limited dose within the station. Um, because Susan is a woman, she smiles whilst being blasted with radiation. <laughs> she does have a weird smile on her face. Her life is in danger. She's about. She thinks she's about to die, and she's smiling. She is. Look pretty whilst smiling, Jessica Alba. Well, well, whilst dying, sorry. Um, I mean, you all, obviously, Jessica Alba always looks pretty whilst smiling. They return home, but soon begin to develop strange powers. Reed is able to stretch his rubber... Susan can become invisible and create force fields, especially when angered, because she's a woman. Johnny can engulf himself in fire at temperatures in excess of 4,000K and uh, is able to fly. And Ben is transformed into a large rock-based creature with superhuman strength and durability. Victor, meanwhile, faces a backlash from his stockholders due to the publicity from the failed mission and now has a scar on his face from an exploding control console he was near during the clouds pass. Johnny inappropriately flirts with his nurse before taking her skiing whilst nuked by some 41 plays. (laughs) Not even a single, guys. Come on, you can choose fat lip. Right, yeah. It's true, actually. It is all like album tracks. (laughs) He catches fire and ends up naked in the snow to great hilarity and asks the nurse to join him. And of course, she accepts the offer. Of course she does. Ben keeps trying to encourage Reed to have an affair with Susan. Like he does. does. She's with Victor. She is very much with Victor. He tries to propose to her. And Ben's like, go on, get a bit of that. Fucking go on. Get in there. Um, Victor reveals he only wants Susan because he could have any other woman in the world. So why not have Susan? I know, yeah. His, like, camp assistant says, well, you can have any woman in the world. Yeah. Because women fall for money above yeah. anything else. And he's like, oh, that's exactly why I want her. Yeah. Which makes no sense, but whatever. Johnny, wearing nothing but the nurse's jacket around his waist, uh, a meme that you that everyone may know of, because uh, this is that meme that's like, oh, when did you first realise you were gay? And it's Chris Evans with... A pink jacket. Uh, uh, interrupts Reed and Susan's dinner just after they discover their powers to tell him about his powers. Ooh. Ben returns home to see his fiance Debbie, who, because she's a woman, is fully ready to have sex with him in a sexy nightdress and says, <laughs> I've got a surprise for you, <laughs> whilst doing a sexy pose in the window. But, because he looks like shit now and he's made of rock, she cannot handle his new appearance and flees in fear. She does. She Debbie does. is a fucking bitch. She's horrible. She is, she is horrible. 
Um, he goes to brood on Brooklyn Bridge and accidentally causes a traffic pile-up while stopping a man from committing suicide to great hilarity. Oh, don't. This man is on the bridge about to jump off and it's comedic music. It is played for laughs. Yeah. It's weird <clears throat> how things are... Well... It's, it's weird because obviously films have dealt with suicide in a comedic way, but in black comedies, dark, you know, comedies... Yeah. This isn't. This is a comic book film. Yeah. So weird. It's so weird. Susan has to get naked to become invisible and make it past a crowd of people. It's then revealed that she has to get angry to become invisible. This is fucking misogynistic bullshit. So in order for Susan to become invisible, she has to get naked and angry. There we are. I, the, don't, I don't think I need to say anything. We have gone on in, to such lengths about female representation of superhero movies this month. Yeah. Usually about solo superhero movies. This is within a team and it is just as bad if not worse. Yeah. It, it, it really is. Um, because it's essentially saying women are emotional. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so ridiculous. But it is. It's her superpowers... Are based around the fact that she gets emotional very quickly. Yeah. That's it. The four use their various powers to contain the damage and prevent anyone from being hurt. Whilst the public cheer them for their efforts, that absolute twat Debbie shows up, shakes her head in disgust at Ben, and leaves her engagement ring on the ground and runs away. Bitch. What a bitch. Reed hands a heartbroken Ben the ring and vows to find a way to turn him back to normal. Wow. I mean, if 1994 is anything to go by, someone needs to confess their love for him quickly. He'll transform well, back. That's probably why he can't, though, because Debbie's <laughs> ditched him. The media, this is a Debbie Downer. The media dubs them the Fantastic Four for their efforts. Victor watches the news story and is told that his company is lost now. The group's fame overrun the company's fate with the media. Stan Lee has a cameo as Willie the Postman. <laughs> Willie? That's an interesting name. Shortly after, Susan flips through a scrapbook of badly edited pictures of her and Reed. The four move into Reed's lab in the Baxter building to study their abilities and find a way to return Ben to normal. Victor offers support in their efforts, but blames Reed for the mission's failure, and the lights start flickering as he gets angrier. <gasps> Careful, you, you're getting women's powers there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Reed tells the group he will construct a Time machine. Time of the month, is it? <laughs> Reed tells the group he will construct a machine to recreate the storm and reverse its effects on their bodies, but warns it could accelerate them instead. Another unnecessary Susan stripping off scene because she's mobbed by fans. Yeah. Montage of the Fantastic Four trying to live together and get along. Everyone has their comedic moments. Susan's comedic moment involves her being invisible and naked again in the shower. Yes, Reed walks in while she's... Nude, and uh, she turns invisible, so he can't see her bits and bobs. Yep. Johnny refuses to give up his powers and use them and uses them to help him win extreme sports. The presenter says Johnny's on fire, and on fire by Lloyd Banks starts playing. Stop it. First, exposing exposing Reed, Susan, and Ben's abilities to the public, uh, which leads to a small fight between him and Ben after making fun of them. Ben causing Tinkerbell as an insult. Yes. 
Johnny claims that these... I don't think we need to discuss that. <laughs> Johnny claims that these new powers are a higher calling. Ben goes to a bar and moans about how terrible his life is when he meets Alicia, the better female representation of the film, uh, who takes a liking to him. Again, she, she's a blind, the blind girl. Yeah. Meanwhile, Victor... Um, uh, played by a wasted oh, Kerry Washington. Yeah. She, Wait, I mean talent wasted. Not she wasn't drunk. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, excuse me. She she is the better female representation. Yeah. However, she's hardly in the fucking film. Yeah. So this is what an hour and eight minutes yeah. into the f- an hour. Well, no, it's about an hour into it. So we've got about thirty to forty minutes left. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert, we don't actually see her till the end. <laughs> so exactly. she has, like, one actual main scene. Meanwhile, Victor continues to mutate, his arm turning into an organic metal and allowing him to produce bolts of energy, metal. and he begins plotting to use his new powers to take his revenge. Victor drives a wedge between Ben and Reed as the group's research has allowed him to rekindle his relationship with Susan. Reed and Ben argue, with Ben walking out in a rage. Susan soon scolds Johnny on how he is using his powers again uh, just to gain popularity. We have this conversation about five fucking times. Yeah. This motivates Reed to attempt the machine on himself, but he cannot generate the power needed to push the storm to critical mass. Victor hears Reed tell Susan uh, this through security cameras and has Ben brought to the lab. Ben is placed in a machine and Doom uses abilities to produce the electricity needed to power it turning Ben back to normal and accelerating Doom's condition, causing much of his body to return to metal. To turn to metal, not return to metal. Victor knocks the human Ben unconscious and kidnaps Reed. Victor, now calling himself Dr. Doom, dons a metal mask to hide his physical deformities and incapacitates Reed using a super-calling unit. Doom fires a heat-seeking missile at the Baxter building to kill Johnny. And Johnny flies through the city to evade it, lighting a garbage barge on fire to trick it. Susan rushes to confront Doom as Ben begins to regret his decisions to turn normal. Susan frees Reed and battles Doom but is outmatched. Ben arrives to save her, transforms into the thing again by reusing the machine. And the battle spills into the streets and the four assemble to battle Doom. With everybody watching, by the way... it's really normal business. Well, yeah, it's quite dangerous, isn't it? I mean, if if there was a big, you know, fight like that happening outside, I don't I don't think we'd go outside to watch, would we? No, not really. Not not when there's like fire and um, potential death involved. No. Johnny and Susan combine their powers to wrap Doom in an inferno of intense heat, and Ben and Reed douse him with cold water inducing thermal shock and freezing Doom in place. Ben informs Reed that he has accepted his condition with the help of Alicia. Um, Now he's developed feelings for her and the team decide to embrace their roles as superheroes and unite officially as Fantastic Four. Reed proposes marriage to Susan who accepts and they have a kiss and Doom's statuesque remains are being transported back to his homeland of Latveria. (laughs) Is it... Latveria... So Latvia is the actual place. Latvia is the yeah. actual place. Earlier on, I made a fool of myself and trivia and said Latveria was the actual place because yeah. my brain has been melted still. Um, Latveria, very much made up place. Uh, when the Doc Master's electronic manifest briefly experiences electronic interference. Oh, it's 
excuse me. <laughs> You're still on. awake there. <laughs> Um, yeah, signalling that Doctor Doom is still alive. It's just very basic, isn't it? It is. It's very run-of-the-mill. Um, I said to you um, after we watched it, it's very much what I assumed all comic book films would be like, and which was why I never went out of my way to watch them. Yeah. Um, it's cheesy, it's not particularly groundbreaking in any sense, um, it's fluff, um, unfortunately, it's also not aged well at all, um, and it's actually weird towards women, which, as you know, you know, we don't appreciate on this podcast. No. Um, it's not terribly well acted, and it's just a big fucking cheese ball. I just didn't, didn't enjoy it. In the words of Sharon Mitchell, it's cheese and pickle, basic. It's very but basic. with an emphasis on the cheese. Yeah, yeah. Which, as we've said, just doesn't, it just doesn't work. No. It works in comic books, and it works in... Like cartoon, you only have to fully commit. Yeah. To it, and make it camp, yeah, or you don't do it at all. You yeah. can't do you know, and it's where the MCU has actually succeeded. In there's humor, but it's not fully cheese. It's not cheese. It's it's. The, the, the humour is more of a modern humour yeah. than the kind of pun, you know, constant pun-based humour yeah. that was in the comic books. Like I said to you as we were watching it, you know, the comic books were very pun-heavy, a very silly humour, but you only had to deal with that whilst reading it once a week. It's quite repetitive. Mm-hmm. And... But in a film where you're sat there for an hour and 40 minutes, hearing the same kind of joke over and over and over again, it's just infuriating. You're just like, oh, shut the fuck up. Get on with it. Absolutely. So that finally brings us to 2015, 2015, whatever. Yeah. We get to show. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, whatever. I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) Childhood friends Reed Richards and Ben Grimm have worked together on a prototype teleporter since youth, eventually attracting the attention of Professor Franklin Storm, director of the Baxter Foundation, a government-sponsored research institute for young prodigies. Yeah, Franklin Storm, who constantly looks and sounds bored. He's it, all the time. He's had enough. He's he's really seriously had enough. But he's had enough from the get go. Um, he probably he probably took one look at the director and no, no, absolutely not. You're not getting my best performance. <laughs> <laughs> Reed is recruited to join them and aid Storm's children, scientist Sue Storm, and uh, engineer Johnny Storm into completing a quantum gate. Designed by Storm's protege, Victor Von Doom. Um, yeah, so how do we know that Johnny Storm is a bad boy in this It's a boy racer. Version? It's a boy racer. Also, uh, in between this, Reed actually asks this actual question. Susan Storm is white. 
Okay. Yeah. And uh, obviously Johnny Storm and his father, Franklin, are African-American. Reed actually asks her if she was adopt if, if her father adopted her. Yeah. He actually asked that question. That is an actual line of dialogue from this shitty film. Yeah. Are you? He says, are you adopted? Like, are you serious? Of course she's fucking adopted, <laughs> you fucking moron. Um, the experiment is successful and the facility's supervisor, Dr. Allen, plans to send a group from NASA to venture into a parallel dimension known as Planet Zero. So you're not getting much character development, are you? No. Apart from, it's all based on, you know, um, Reed is weird and a nerd and all he cares about is science. Um, Susan is actually quite rude to begin with. For no, she's listening to Porter's head. Yeah, she's listening to Porter's head in the library. <laughs> um, Reed's awkwardly trying to talk to her, but she's actually really quite dismissive. She's actually really quite rude. Um, Johnny is a boy racer and gets into a crash. That's why he's kind of forced to help them out. Um, Ben has absolutely no character development <laughs> whatsoever. Like, absolutely not be in the fucking film. None. None whatsoever. We know nothing about... Apart from the fact that his family own a scrapyard. Yeah. That is it. And his brother, his abusive brother... Yeah. His fucking abusive brother says to him, it's clobbering time before he's about to beat him up. Yeah. It's clobbering time is the thing's catchphrase. Yeah. So that's where the catchphrase comes from in this version. Bullshit. Is his brother punching him. Um, and yeah, and then Victor Von Doom, he's, a, a, I don't know, a, a neckbeard <laughs> to begin with, um, but then suddenly not. <laughs> like, it's not really explained. The thing is, you, you get the hint that him and Susan were in a relationship, mm-hmm. but it's never explicitly said, no. or they don't really, they don't actually interact too much in the film. So, there's not really much going on there, apart from the odd hint, and the, oh, will Susan be there? Um, and knowing that Susan's going to be there, he has a shave and has a haircut. <laughs> so, uh, the scene of him in his dirty apartment looking like a tramp um, yeah. is completely pointless, because he's just, his character changes like that. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Disappointed at being denied the chance to join the expedition, Reed, Johnny and Victor, along with Ben, use the quantum gates to embark on an unsanctioned voyage to Planet Zero, which they learn is a world filled with otherworldly substances. Yeah, so they're pissed off, essentially, because um, they've done all the hard work and they're not going to get any of the credit. So they sort of compare it to Neil Armstrong and the moon landing, don't they? Uh Uh-huh. They just talk shit about science for so fucking long. It is. It's so annoying because they just... They do all this science talk and there's a lot of it in the film. There is a lot. um, Completely unnecessary. You know, you could have kept it basic and quickened the pace up in these parts. Um, But there's a montage... So the idea is that they kind of bicker to begin with, or they don't like each other, um, which is really just based off them being really rude to each yeah. other. Like, there's no, like, no reason for it. They're just all kind of rude. Um, and Reed's just awkward. 
And then you have this montage of them building this thing and getting along. Um, but it's like a really cheesy montage mm-hmm. where there's like no dialogue, just <laughs> just getting yeah. along and it's like oh, okay, and they're all friends now, you know what you know, what is going on here? Um yeah, it's it's so weird. And then they send a chimp into this um Planet Zero. Yeah. To begin with, which is a bit like, um, aren't these meant to be likable leads? They've mm-hmm. kind of this is almost animal cruelty. They're experimenting with a chimp. Yeah. Um potentially this chimp is gonna be torn apart. Uh-huh. Going into this other world. That didn't sit well with me. I don't know about you. No, no. Um, I couldn't stand any of them. Victor attempts to touch the green lava-like substance, causing the ground they are standing on to erupt. Reed, Johnny and Ben return to their shuttle, just as Sue brings them back to Earth, and Victor is seemingly killed after he falls into the collapsing landscape. The quantum gate explodes, altering Reed, Sue, Johnny and Ben on a genetic level and granting them superhuman abilities beyond their control. Also, can we just say Ben (laughs) isn't part of this science thing. He was at home. He got a random call from Reed saying, well, you were part of it. You were part of it when we were growing up. Then why wasn't he on? Yeah, it's almost like they forgot he was in the film. It's like, oh shit, we better bring him back quickly. I want you to join us. So Sue, being the only woman wasn't invited along to go into this planet zero no of course not and then it explodes and she's genetically altered because she happened to be close by yeah um and the way they genetically alter them fucking dumb so i mean i'm not sure i couldn't see what happened with reed's one but obviously ben turns into the thing is a rock-like creature a bunch of rocks fly into a space pod thing. Yeah. And then Johnny is set on fire, obviously becomes a human torch. Yeah. That is so oversimplifying. What makes stretch? I have no idea. What makes Sue invisible? Yeah. So in, in the 1994 one, uh, which I forgot to mention when I was reading out the plot, um, hilariously, all their powers are based on their personality traits. Yeah. Um, their personality traits that aren't actually dealt with, they're just said... So, Sue is shy, so she turns invisible. Uh, Johnny is hot-headed, so he turns into fire. Um, Reed tries to do and and be everywhere at one time. So he's stretching himself. Um, And then Ben is, I don't know, hard-headed? Likes rocks. (laughs) Likes rocks, yeah. Um, Anyway, but in this one, it's just... I don't know, like the fly. Stupid. It's, it's like the fly, isn't yeah. it? It happens to be in the, the capsule at the time, and therefore that's what they're thinking. I'd rather they just didn't explain why they were so they, different. They, just fucking, ha- they just have different powers. Did a Stretch Armstrong fly into fucking Reed's exactly. one? Like, yeah, could you imagine? Uh, Reed can stretch like rubber. Susan can become invisible and generate force fields. Johnny can engulf his entire body in fly, uh, fire and fly. And Ben develops a rock-like hard... A hide, excuse me. <laughs> oh my god! Fuck it up, what film is this? Ben develops a rock-like hide. Jesus! Oh, he definitely ain't getting hard if uh, the rest of the film is demonstrated. Um, no. Which gives him superhuman strength and durability. They are then placed in government custody to be studied and have their abilities tested. 
Blaming himself for the accident, Reed escapes from the facility and tries to find a cure for their changes. One year later, in 2015, because they don't want to develop these characters at all, Reed is now a fugitive and has built a suit that helps him control his ability. Hiding in Central America, he is eventually found by the United States military with Sue's help and captured by Ben, who has become a military asset along with Johnny and Sue. Johnny and Sue have been outfitted with specialised suits designed to help them control their abilities. Ben has not. No. Um, ben, ben is fucking nude. Yeah, essentially. And doesn't have a penis and anymore. And d- there's no penis, so it's definitely an action man down there. So, <laughs> no wonder he's so fucking fuming. It's definitely not rock hard Absolutely like you said he fuming. was. I mean, ain't being funny, in the Jessica Alba one, you know, he was getting his end away with Alicia, wasn't he? <laughs> so there must have been something down there. Reed is brought to Area 57 where Dr. Allen conscripts him into rebuilding the Quantum Gate in exchange for giving Reed the resources to find a cure. Arriving in Planet Zero, Dr. Allen's explorers find Victor, who has been fused to his spacesuit and now possesses telekinetic abilities, and they bring him back to Earth. Believing that humans need to be destroyed so he can rebuild Earth in his image, Victor kills the scientists and soldiers in the base, including Dr. Allen and Professor Storm, and returns to Planet Zero using the Quantum Gate with Ben, Johnny, Reed and Sue in pursuit. An hour and 20 minutes into the film. An hour and 20 minutes into the film. We do not see the Fantastic Four team up with their powers. They barely share screen time without the powers, but we don't see them team up with their powers until an hour and 20 minutes into this hour and 40 minutes film. And the part, this is, this is the part, uh, not, not part of the film, but this is the reason the film gets lost up its own arse. Yeah. Is because for the majority of the film, the antagonist is the US military. Yeah. And that's not dealt with. It's just, it, it, Dr. Doom suddenly becomes the antagonist and then it's like done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't end up actually saying or doing anything with the, this whole military thing. No. Um, so it's trying to give some sort of social commentary, but not really understanding what it's trying to say or how to say it. Now dubbing himself Doom, Victor activates a portal on Planet Zero using the Quantum Gate and begins consuming the landscape of the Earth using a structure he created from the rock formations in Planet Zero. He is confronted by the Four, and after a short battle, Ben punches Doom into the portal's energy beam, disintegrating him while Johnny closes the portal. It really is a short fucking battle. It really, it, it really is. Returning to Earth... The group is rewarded by the US military for their heroics by being given a new base of operations known as Central City to study their abilities without government interference. They decide to use their powers to help people and adopt the mantle of the Fantastic Four. You say that, they actually they don't. They actually don't say it. Their final lines of dialogue... I would like to read you the final lines of dialogue for this Please. film. So this is whilst they're trying to think of a name for their little group. And Ben says, I've got to say, all of this is fantastic. And Reed says, say that again. And Ben's like, it's fantastic. He's like, yes, it is. Guys, I've got it. End of the film. End of the film. Not clever. It's, it's not clever. And the film thinks it's being clever. What, what uh, the many aspects that annoy me is that it's too dark. 
with slight bits of humour. So like that bit of humour at the end there, it's, yeah. just, it's cheesy and it doesn't fit. And I, I said to, to you as well, <laughs> uh, I said to, to Gary, that the stakes are too high. Yeah. For an origin story, the stakes are the end of the world. So you've there's the, it ends up the film spending an hour and twenty minutes establishing an origin story, to then the big story, the story that we've actually wanting to see, which is the Fantastic Four in action, saving the Earth, being dealt with in twenty minutes. Yeah. This is the pacing is so off, really off. Genuinely. Bottom of the barrel trash. It's when you're given a hundred and twenty million dollars. Yeah. There's no fucking excuse for this shit. It's boring. It bored me. It yeah. genuinely did, and I also think watching three Fantastic Four films back to back, it felt so repetitive. Yeah. It felt like the same thing, you know, three times because the plots really aren't too dissimilar to each other. No. Um. Who I feel sorry for is whoever. Um, originally wrote the character of Doctor Doom for the comic books because that character has been mistreated in these three films. Yeah. <laughs> really bad. But we'll get on to that. Getting into comparisons. Getting into comparisons. For a first, this is a, a first time that we've ever had to do this, we will be selecting winners for best and for worst. Yeah. Because this is all shit. Like, there's, there's nothing good here to be found. It's, but yeah. we'll get best at a push. Worst and probably where it becomes more challenging. So, cinematography, special effects, action and soundtrack. 1994. Um, Dire. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, like I said earlier, we watched it on a YouTube video taken from a VHS. Again, it's a film that wasn't really meant to be released. Yeah. So it's hard to really get a grasp of how the film looks because it was kind of blurry. Um, yeah. Practical effects. Oh my god, that arm at the end. <laughs> it's but it's got it has to be bottom of the barrel just for that arm it's, at the end. I mean, it's got a certain cheesy charm to it though, hasn't it? It like the things, had. the things suit. The things um, suit wasn't that bad. It really was. I didn't think it was that no, bad. No, no. I mean, if so, if someone... spent a million dollars on it, Chris. Of course it was. Yeah. Well, you've right. Just needed pain, and the other <laughs> stuff needs. So it wasn't the four million dollars. But if someone, you know, rocked up at Halloween in that costume, you'd be like, oh man, you look great. You would. Yeah. 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 Um. I mean. The CGI. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> no. I've seen, I've seen clip art that looks more realistic. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not good. Um, the it's action good. scenes are just. I mean, cause like I said, it wasn't supposed to be released. This print of it, the action scenes, you could barely see what's going on. It yeah, it is difficult. The score is so over the top and not in a good way. Like. It like it. It just overdoes it. Like it, it's trying to tell you what you should be feeling, but fuck, you know, it might as well be screaming at you. I have to say, for all three films, I don't really remember. Do the you not remember the nineteen ninety four? I really don't. Try and think back to when they were in a house with Susan and Johnny's mom, and it was like it was like a Lifetime movie. Mm. Like the the soundtrack, it was ridiculous. 
But yeah, 2005, basic house cinematography. Yeah, very, very in keeping with how films looked back then. Yes. You know, blockbusters like that all, all kind of look the same. Yeah. CGI aged terribly. Yeah, that's, you know, has been the best part of 20 years. Um, but I think even back then it wasn't that great. I mean, again, the thing suit, they went with practical effects, looks good. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, action scenes are fine. Yeah, it's probably got the most action scenes yeah. of, of the yeah, three films. Three. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, it, it's probably why, overall, it there's more action to it, which is what you want to see in these films. Um, so that's probably why, spoiler alert, overall, it's my favourite. Yeah, um, the soundtrack has Anastasia, Just Ellison 41. Exactly. Or more could you ask for? Twenty fifteen. I bought the CD already. <laughs> Twenty fifteen. I'd say the cinematography is better slightly. Oh, it's only not because dark yeah, it's all but dark. It, it'd be better if it's for a different fucking film. It doesn't suit yeah. Fantastic Four. I was just doing that moody, yeah. dark shit. It really pissed me off. That's probably why I got the feeling it was trying to be the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Yeah. Because it it mistook turning the lights down for creating a moody atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, the CGI, considering it was six years ago, should not be this bad. No. It is terrible. It is. It's, yeah. Action scenes. What fucking action scenes? Well, there weren't any until the end. The, literally, a brief battle at the end. Yeah, that is it. That was it. Yeah, and and even that was basic as fuck. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, it took the thing punching him once into... Punching Doctor Doom once into a beam. Yeah. Into the same beam in the sky that every superhero film was having around that time. It's And this is why it's so ridiculous, because the stakes were so huge. The end of the world. Mm. The world essentially... The, the Earth being swallowed and destroyed... Everyone, all seven billion of us dying. These are the stakes. Yeah. And it's resolved like that, you know? Yeah. It's ridiculous. In a, in a very shitty, basic action scene. Yeah. A completely forgettable soundtrack. Nothing to it at all. Yeah. If it, it would have benefited from a bit of... Who uh, was big in 2015? A bit of, bit of chart music to brighten it up a bit. Yeah. Bit of Anastasia. Um, so the overall winner I'd say for all of them is two thousand five. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. yeah. Um who's the winner for the worst? Um That's tough. Yeah. I will say it's twenty fifteen simply because there's no excuses. Yeah, they didn't have one million dollars to work. You with. know, I will give credit where it's due. Yeah. You know, there's a big fucking difference in budget. And these are all, they're all criteria that, you know, a big budget should help with. Yeah. And it failed. Reed, so getting into characters, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, 1994, played by Alex Hyde-White, 2005 by Ewan Grifford, and 2015 by Miles Teller. 
Um, I will say this right here, right now. Mr. Fantastic is the leader of the Fantastic Four, but he's also consistently the most boring he is. of the four. <laughs> like, seriously. I mean, Alex Hyde, why, I genuinely don't remember his performance. No. It was so basic. It the just... only, uh, yeah. I don't remember anything. And he looks exactly like the guy who played Victor. Yeah. As well, oh which my made God. it very confusing yeah. to begin with. Um, yeah, he's got he's really got no character. Nancy vibes about him. I mean, Nancy you know, he meets Susan as a child, and then he wants to fuck. That him. is true, actually. So yeah, certainly they, are they were clearly a long ten years though, because she doesn't look. They look closer in age. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he's just stayed because, the same age. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So they didn't get a new actor. They just gave him slightly grey hair at the sideburns. <laughs> um, but obviously it was a new actress for uh, Susan. Uh, Ewan Grufford. He does all right. Yeah. He does okay. Again, he's got, he hasn't got much to do. Um, as a character, the whole idea is that Susan is super emotional and he's not emotional enough. Yeah. And that's why the relationship didn't work. Um... I mean, in terms of character development, there's not much there. So yeah. There's not really much for him to do apart from look shocked when he stretches his arms. And Miles Teller, absolute waste of a casting. Really? Just it's so terrible, forced. Terribly miscast. He is so forced as this nerd. Yeah. Every time he tries to act like one, it doesn't work. Miles Teller is not a nerd. He cannot play a nerd. It does not work. No. He should have been... Well, he shouldn't have been uh, Johnny Storm because Michael B. Jordan was good, a good fit. Yeah. Um, but if any he was, film, if he was yeah. ever going to be up for any of the four roles, it should have been Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Ewan Grifford's the easy winner. Yeah. I said, I said the word. Like yeah, me. essentially. Um, he did the. I suppose he had a little more to do as well with the rom- romantic side. Yeah. Which made his character slightly more interesting. Who's a loser? Who who's winning the who's winning the worst? I think it has to be Miles Teller because it's just so terribly miscast. Yeah. Really, yeah, really terribly miscast. Next up, Sue Storm, The Invisible Woman, nineteen ninety four, Rebecca Stab. Uh, 2005, Jessica Alba, and 2015, Kate Mara. I feel like Rebecca Stamp was perhaps a little too overexcited in all of her scenes. She was. <laughs> I think, and you get the gist from Doomed, the documentary, is that she yeah. seemed really happy to be there. <laughs> like, maybe she was a struggling actress, like, really struggling. Yeah. And this, you know, I think of all of them, she really thought this was going to be her big break. And bless her, she she does all right. Again, she has got fuck all to do. No. Really? Yeah. Out of all three of these, Sue Storm gets the worst things to do, the most boring things to do. Don't you? Out of the four, it it really is, and one and consistently through the three films, is this lack of women. Yeah. Like serious, just a lack. Of women, Sue Storm is the only woman of note in any of these films. I understand the comic book is three guys and a girl. That's how it was established. Um, but, you know, she got mix it up a bit. Yeah. I think the 2015 version could have done with 
maybe, uh, you know, making Johnny a, a, a female character yeah. or, or just having another female dynamic there. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it's sorely missed throughout three, all three of the films. Um, she's so underdeveloped as well as a character. Yeah. Um, that it's really, it sticks out like a sore form. I believe you have the, do you have the names of the other female characters? I do. So this, this is uh, the 2005, um, the Jessica Alba one, um, I thought it was funny because I was looking at... I recognised one of the actresses in it. And it was... Uh, oh, what's her name? Maria Menounos. So I remember her. She's done some of the wrestling and, and stuff. She's a fan. But I will go through the top bill cast. Uh, all the actresses. Uh, all the female characters. So you've got Sue Storm. Alicia Masters. Debbie. Boo. Yeah, we're done with Debbie. Maria plays Sexy Nurse. That is her name. Then we have Nightclub Girlfriend, Bohemian Girls 1 and 2. Then we have LV Receptionist, Compound Reporter number 2, Old Lady with Car 1 and 2, Little Girl. (laughs) And then my favourite, The Four Lusting Models. Yeah. And that's the extent to the women in Fantastic Four in 2005. And the other two are pretty much on par. Yeah. Yeah. I, other than Ben's mum, I can't think of another female character other than Sue Storm in 2015. Yeah. I genuinely don't there think isn't. there was another There really one. isn't. Um, and this is probably where The Incredibles works. Yeah. Because there is, you know, another female within yeah. that group. You know, and then um, Edna Mode as well. Yeah. You know, it's... Come on. It's not that difficult. Just, you know, write an extra female character yeah. in. Yeah. Really, really fucking piss off those neckbeards. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. Um... Yeah, write her in as uh, Mrs. Fantastic, have her as the lead character. Yeah. Oh, that would have been perfect. And Mrs. Fantastic, that would have been fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, Jessica Alba's overly sexualised multiple times, always given the least exciting things to do, and is just there as a romantic bit of drama between Reed and Victor. She is. It just doesn't work. I always imagined Sue Storm to be older Mm. and feel... Slightly more mature. It's like she always has to be the younger girl going after the older man. Yeah. Um, and the, the Jessica Alba one, it, it's very... Um, I'm a scientist because I wear glasses yeah. and a cardigan. But I'm also a sexy scientist because I've always got cleavage on the go. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on, mate. Kate Mara, poor thing's given nothing to do. Oh, my God. She's not, she's not even allowed on the boys' trip. No. Poor no. Cow. I, it's beyond me how you can have a Fantastic Four film where the four of them, it's in the fucking title. The four of them don't go to space. No. One's left behind. That's bullshit. And it's, it's, there's not even a forced romantic narrative between her and uh, Reed. Well, they try and set it up, but it's just forgotten about. And then it is. there's that whole thing of her and Victor. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's yeah, absolutely so bullshit. So she just has nothing to do. Poor Kate Myra just... Ugh. 
she wasn't tapping into any of her acting prowess. She had fuck all to do. I mean, in my eyes, they're all winners for putting up with this bullshit. Yeah. Um, but if we've got to pick a winner and a loser, I kind of want to give the winner to Rebecca Stubb for the enthusiasm. <laughs> I think so. Bless her. She was very enthusiastic. I, I, I ain't going to give her a loser for this category because, I mean, you know, the representation shit, but it's not because of the actresses. What I, what I find with these three is you can't actually really blame no. the actresses. It's just a terribly written character. Terribly written, terribly directed. You've got nothing to do. Bless them. How can you say you... Someone gives a terrible performance when they're not actually necessarily having to perform. Yeah. Someone who's given too much to do for two of the films. Oh, no. Johnny Storm, The Human Torch, played by Jay Underwood in 1994. Chris Evans, as in Captain America Chris Evans in 2005. And Michael B. Jordan in 2015. Now, obviously, Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan have both gone on to be in the MCU. They have. So they've, you know. Gone to great success. Thank God. Um, Jay Underwood. <laughs> what a guy! Oh my god! <laughs> I, I mean, he's got the nineties hair, hasn't he? He's definitely Sue's brother. So the, the enthusiasm is very much there. He took a fucking mile a minute. He didn't shut the fuck up. Took absolute shite, and he's fucking annoying. Yeah, and Chris Evans. Also annoying. Comedic, yeah, very comedic relief. Yeah. Um, Objectivise a woman at every chance he gets. He is. And then he's kind of... The thing is, it, I don't know if we could call it objectifying Chris Evans. Because he is topless a lot. He is. He's got a lot of flesh on display. But it's always as a comedy mm. skit. Yeah. Um, where he's in on the joke. He doesn't care. And, and like I said earlier, his character, Johnny Storm, doesn't care. No. But Susan Storm does care. Yeah. And that's the divide that makes it super 2005 and super awkward. Yeah. Uh, Michael B. John, again, you know, he really does the best he can with shit material. Yeah. He's a good actor that had nothing to do no which is a shame because he really had that role down he really did um he had it absolutely nailed he could have it could have been so much better if he had more to do yeah um and for that he's obviously our winner fucking hell who <laughs> i would say jay underwood because <laughs> he's fucking annoying yeah he's a bit unbearable um he hasn't got decent to take his top off <laughs> ben did you want him to <laughs> Do you wanna do you wanna see Jay Underwood run around naked in in Fantastic Four? Well, I mean, it would have made the character more interesting. Uh, you wouldn't have been able to see anything anyway. It's so fucking dark. Bit of objectification. Ben Grimm, The Thing, nineteen ninety four. Michael Bailey Smith, who went on to great success. He's been in a lot. He was actually in previous podcast put the previous podcast film Hills of Eyes remake. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. He was uh, the main guy. The, the, oh, uh, of course he was. Yeah, but that's because no one remembers his face. Oh, yeah. It's just the thing. 2005, Michael Chilclis, and 2015, Jamie Bell. So, Michael Bailey Smith, I think he does a good enough job as the thing. He's in the costume. Doesn't have to do a lot of acting. Once he's in that costume, he's, he's the thing. He, he is the thing. He's, you know, he... Yeah, I, he does what he needs to do. Yeah. That's it. I mean, yeah. Michael 
Chiklis, I found him just as annoying as Chris Evans. Um, he just kept forcing these fucking weird jokes about wearing tutus and being Tinkerbell. Yeah. And it's like, get fucked. He is, yeah. In very 2005. Um, it was constant between him and Chris Evans. Like, oh, I hate you, I hate you. Oh, don't. Yeah, all the bickering. Even towards the end, it just got annoying. He was, he was I would say, probably as annoying as uh, Johnny was in that film. And 2015, who the fuck thought casting Jamie Bell as the Fink was a good idea? It... And giving him nothing to do. Yeah, he just, he literally had nothing to do. No. He was, at the beginning of the film, a, a different actor, and then he had a slight bit where, you know, um, Reed joins the university or whatever, and then there's a big chunk of the film where he's not even part of it in yeah. any way whatsoever yeah and then suddenly and like you said it's like they forgot yeah oh shit no he's meant to become the thing okay we need to write him back into it in the most you know convoluted not convoluted uh most basic way yeah just like oh mate you need to be okay i'll be there in 20 and Uh, just turned up yeah and then when he turns into the thing not only does he look awful because it's the first time they've used cgi for the character but it's naked He's naked. It looks weird. I really weird. don't understand why he's naked. Which... I don't understand. That's like having the Hulk naked. Yeah. It's weird. And he's the... And I, he's the only one in the three that doesn't get the um, Alicia yeah. subplot. Yeah. Um, which would have humanised him a little bit. And then made him a bit more interesting. Trying to make the whole it's clobbering time thing stem from an uh, abusive relationship with his brother. Yeah. Fuck, that is so fucking unnecessary. So the winner is very obviously Michael Bailey Smith. Um, I mean, loser, probably Michael Chiklis because he does have stuff to do and he's annoying with it. Yeah. And there's some sort of um, slight misogynist homophobia yeah. as well underneath which I didn't enjoy and finally Victor Von Doom Doctor Doom played by Joseph Culp in 1994 2005 Julian McMahon and 2015 Toby Cabell <laughs> well partially until he's just played by some randomer during the climax <laughs> do you know what just shove them all in the bin yeah so just really has do you think there's a character in film history that has been completely ruined three times in a row. Just abs. Just now, I'm, I'm. I've never read the comic books, but surely the character isn't that bad and that. Boring. Well, no, he's he's a very famous villain. Yeah, you know, he... and it's always it, it's always sort of been Fantastic Four, and their main antagonist is Doctor Doom. Yeah. Um. Oh my god, just three misfires in a row. Really bad. In the first film, I really don't understand why the actor decided to have Victor have a slight British accent to begin with, and then Doctor Doom have a very strong British accent. (laughs) 
I don't understand that. You can barely hear a thing through his mask. Yeah, you can barely... You cannot hear uh, coherently through his mask. Um, just a very... He could have been saying teen crumpets over and over again. Um, he's very much uh, Adam West, Batman-style villain. Yeah. Yeah. 2005, he's so bland, boring and basic... There's nothing to him. I'm a rich guy and I'm going to take over Manhattan. Okay, great. And then they turn him into... I mean, you know, he's dark, uh, dark, moody English guy at first in in 2015. But then... We played by an English guy. played by an English guy. Uh, But then he turns into CGI. Instead of just giving him the comic book accurate mask. What What was with the... Lack of metal. Yeah. What, well, his suit had stuck to him? Yeah. And he just kind of looked like a, a mummy. Like, yeah, he looked shit. He, yeah, but like not, like, he looked more greeny brown, like snot coloured. Yeah. Um, and it was so was, easy to take down. Yeah, he was an absolute non-entity through the majority of the film. And he was quickly dealt with at the end. Yeah. So he's not even, like, a strong antagonist. Um, you know, it, it was just bland, boring. Um, I really don't understand why he was trying to um, take over this Planet Zero. Because there was nothing else on Planet Zero. No. I, don't, I really don't understand his plan, uh, what he was trying to accomplish. That's bad writing. Um... But yeah, I'll just really come. Three, I I would say all three are the worst. Yeah, I genuinely would say that. Yeah, I agree. Because it's such a mishandled character. Yeah, there's no excuses. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, I think it's fair to say our winner for the best. Again, very lightly, I'm using that word very lightly. <laughs> the best is two thousand and five. Yes, and. The absolute worst of the worst. The first time we gave an award in Original versus Remake for being the worst film is 2015. It is. It is. Because there's no excuses. Yeah. You've got a big budget. You've got all these comic books to go by. You've seen the mistakes that the first... Well, maybe you haven't watched the Roger Corman one because officially it shouldn't have been released. But you've seen the mistakes that have been made in the past... And you've actually managed to make a worse film. Yeah. So, yeah. That's officially the end of Shit Super, isn't it? Hooray! It is done. Thank fuck for that. That brings us to our best and worst of the month. Ooh. I am pretty convinced they're going to be the same. Yes. So, best and worst new releases of the month. The best is Summer of Soul. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Loved it. I love that this is a that we're able to include this as a new release and that it was theatrically released. Yeah. Because it's not often you get documentaries theatrically released. You know, it's at cinemas. Still at cinemas now. You could literally go and watch it this weekend. Um, and a big chain, like Odin, showing it. And it is the most important documentary you could watch this year. It is, because it's... Um, it's about the Harlem um, cultural festival. Cultural festival. Excuse me. I was going to say music festival. That was what's like. Um, the the Harlem cultural festival, uh, in nineteen sixty nine, 
and it was all documented and essentially nobody gave a shit so it was never released they they filmed all of it and i mean there's some really fucking special acts oh yeah that played you know nina simone stevie wonder um you know some real top-notch talent and no one gave two shits because it happened at the same time as Woodstock. Yeah. And Woodstock got all of the attention. And it's taken all this time for them to find and put together this documentary. And there's people who were there that are looking back on it. Um, it's, it's incorporating it into an American history. And I, ju- I just thought it was fantastic. The performance is on display. I wish... I hope that they release a Blu-ray edition mm-hmm. and where we can watch all the footage as maybe an extra. Yeah. Um, because it's coming to Disney Plus as well. Is it? Yeah, it's coming to Disney Plus. I would, yeah, I would like to see it in its full um, glory after all these years. Um, I, I just think, I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Worst of the month... It's old. <laughs> the it's new film old. by M. Night Shyamalan. I am... As much as uh, I was shocked positively uh, that Sh- uh, Summer of Soul made it to the cinema, I'm shocked it, for a completely different reason that this made it to the cinema. <laughs> this is a trash to piece. This has divided people. Um, some people love it. Me and Gary both thought it was shite. Um, we both agree that it's probably the funniest film of 2021 so far. Because <laughs> we were cracking it. We were at the back of that cinema fucking cracking up. The dialogue, I don't, I really don't know who the fuck wrote this script. <laughs> but it's shocking. Yeah, the acting is unbelievable. It's like nothing I've seen in a mainstream film. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's got its problematic parts, its boring parts. It's it's just got everything, everything in that recipe apart from a good film. It just it felt like a parody. Yeah. It really genuinely. We had to check after like if it was a, a comedy. Parody. Yeah, I yeah we had to check that it it was a uh, wasn't a comedy. I thought it was fucking hilarious. And I, I would say go watch it because it's a laugh riot. Yeah. But not for the good reasons. Yeah. Maybe maybe a future episode or somewhere down the line. Yeah. Honourable mentions, Shaft. Yes. First time watch of a black exploitation classic. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Escape Room 2, which was so much fun. I loved it. Uh, Deer Skin. It's fucking weird, but so good. Fear Street Trilogy started off mediocre. Ended up pretty good by the end of it. It was alright. It was okay. If you um, that sort of stuff. Tommy. Watched for the first time. Uh, weird. But a masterpiece. <laughs> King of New York. Oh, King of New York. Only, Wasn't that a surprise? The only good, good Abel was. Forever we've yeah. watched. Yeah. Uh, no, I've seen Miss 45. That well, was good. And Jungle Fever. Jungle Fever. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to... I don't know why you ever mentioned it. The uh, My favourite film that we watched this month is The Cranes Are Flying. Oh, shit, yeah. I forgot uh, that. Wonderful Soviet Union um, film. Uh, won Palme d'Or. Yeah. Um, yeah, really good. 
beautifully shot mm-hmm. uh, from 1957. Really, just really fantastic, wonderful film. Yeah. So there we go. That is our original versus remake for this month. Next month, we will be discussing Piranha for another original versus remake threesome special. Oh, God. Why do we do it to ourselves? Piranha from the 70s, Piranha from the 90s, and Piranha 3D. Uh, next week, on Tuesday, we are back with I Know What You Did Last Summer trilogy to kick off Summer Screams month. I am Gaz 92 on Letterboxd, GazMode205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd. Rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, like a phone, nothing else. And we have two special announcements this Ooh. month. First of all... Uh, you may remember we discussed Bound with the wonderful people over at Say Podcast and Die. We have joined them for an episode where we will be discussing the Goosebumps episode, the Phantom of the Auditorium, and the book along with it, uh, which Chris was a good egg and read before the episode. Uh, I read it many, many years ago and watched the episode for the first time many years ago, but it was good to rewatch it and discuss it. Um, and you know, we love say podcast and die so much. Go and check them out. We haven't got a specific date for when it's released yet, but keep an eye out on our social media and we will post that for sure. And then for our second announcement, we will be hosting our first ever film screening on the 30th of September at 7 p.m. at Manchester's Chapel Town Picture House. We will be screening Hellraiser. Yes. So anyone, any, anyone close by? Yeah. Yeah, in Manchester, Chapel Town Picture House. Um, get your tickets. We'll post it on our social medias. Yes, we will. And we will. seven pound um, fifty a ticket. Yes, see Hellraiser on the big screen, as Clive Barker intended. Yes. Um. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a great time. Special introduction from us. Come see us in person. That part I'm not so. Uh, come come see us in person. Uh, see what we look like. I, I'm not a big. I I can sit here and talk <laughs> shit all I like, um. But in front of a crowd of people, I'm not sure. Wow. Well, I might start I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll be fine. And I'd rather do stuff like this than do something like a Patreon. I mean, you know, maybe one day down the line we'll do a Patreon, but. I'd rather do something where you know. <laughs> no, don't do a Patreon. Then I'll have to put some effort into all this. Oh well. <laughs> You put loads of effort in. But I'd, I'd rather do something where people could pay their money to see something on the big screen. You know, it still supports us, uh, supports Chapel Town Picture House, supports indie cinema, you know. And how often do you get to see a film like Hellraiser exactly. on the big screen? Exactly. And, you know, after that we can start, you know, maybe some other films. Yeah. Potentially. Absolutely. I'm dying to, I'm dying, dying to see Showgirls on the big screen, please. What are you saying please for? We're in charge. There's a fuck. Yeah, but if we're hosting the screening. But the thing is, if this don't work, then Showgirls definitely ain't fucking working. Anyway. Okay. I've been dead out getting... No, sorry. (laughs) We'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.